Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. You grab a seat, and uh, it's good to see you this morning. Thank you, worship team, for doing such a good job of helping us uh, focus on Christ, the power of His name, the gospel. I mean, there's so much that we sang about this morning that that was so good for us. How's everybody doing? You're alive. Some of you are fantastic. How are you doing? You're good. All right, good, good. At least there's some enthusiasm, right? Well, I know life isn't all enthusiasm all the time, but it's good to hear and see you here and, and be here. We're in the dog days of summer now. It is hot, isn't it? But it's good. I like this time of year. It's good to be able to play and be out. Um, my wife isn't in this service, so I can say this a little more freely, but our swamp cooler is nice, but coming to work at this time of year is kind of nice because the air conditioning, and it's just always the same, and it's it's nice in the building here, but... It's that time of year. You guys know how this is. You hit this point in the year. We've been in this series called Alive. I'm going to tie this to that. But uh, here we are in this point of the year when you go outside and you work. And what do you say when you're outside for a long time? Even just 10 minutes of working in the heat and you're sweating like crazy. You're like, I'm dead. I'm dying because you're kind of parched, right? You need water. You need rest. and, And you kind of need that refreshment. We know that physically, but spiritually we sometimes feel parched. We sometimes feel exhausted and we need the Lord's refreshment in our life. Jesus said that he is living water. If we drink deeply of him, he talked about what he does for us in the midst of that. That's what we're after this summer. That's what this series Alive is all about. How do I spiritually stay alive as we've been looking at different graces that God has given us? These means that are not the ultimate end, like prayer, is not the ultimate end. To be said, I'm a prayer warrior, is actually not the ultimate end. It's to be a disciple of Jesus, to feast on him, and that's what we're after. But we're looking at these things that give us a direction to access our living Savior. So that's where we've been this summer. Let's bow our heads one more time in prayer before we get to the word. I need to pray, and maybe you need to pray for me. Let's pray. Father, we desperately need you. We don't even know how badly we need you. We think we can go on and live our lives apart from you. We think we can do that even as disciples with some distance, some nearness, but not real closeness. But we're fooling ourselves, Lord, and we confess that right now. And Lord, I pray that we would, in the midst of this series, draw near to you as you draw near to us. And we'd find life, our entire life, wrapped up in you. Every part of our life wrapped up in you. And so God, would you do that in us, grow us in prayer, but not making prayer the end destination as we already talked about, but grow us that we might know you. And so Lord, we pray that as we get ready to pray in the Lord's prayer together. And so Lord, we pray that, that you would meet us this morning. God, help me. Thank you for meeting me even in the last hours before this message in helping with some things that I feel like you wanted to say through this. And uh, Lord, just speak to us this morning. We're open. We're, we want soft hearts. Till our hearts. Prepare us for the receiving. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Let's read the Lord's Prayer together as we've been looking at this Lord's Prayer over these last weeks. This is out of the ESV version. Let's read this as, as on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. Well, here we are in the midst of this series. We've been going through the Lord's Prayer where we seek to be alive with Christ. And we're wanting to answer the question, how can I be alive in Christ? Finding Christ to be my very life, to be my living water, that pure and whole Jesus. Jesus taught us to pray. And I thank him that he taught us to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, he gave us a kiss. What do you mean, Brian? Keep it simple, stupid. Okay, that's a gift. I I thank him because he kept it really basic, really simple. And he taught us just very basically what it looks like to pray. And he guided us into that. You know, the fact that he taught us to pray implies something. And it implies this, that we need to be taught how to pray. Don't you struggle with prayer? Most people do. Most Christians do. It's like, I know somewhat how to pray. I know that I should pray. And I mostly feel guilty about my prayer. But do we pray? And what do we pray like? And how do we engage that? Jesus, I'm thankful, said, I'll teach you to pray. When the disciples asked, he went right into it. He showed them how to pray. And he guided us into it. This prayer is more like a starter log for prayer. It it begins this, this Lord's Prayer begins us in prayer. It's not the end. It's not necessarily supposed to be something we just say and wrote just over and over repetitively, but it's a starter for us. It gets us going. It ought to spur our prayer, not just be our prayer. And so I love the Lord's Prayer because it does that for us. It's so basic, yet it can take us so deep. And it brings us to those, those deep, deep layers. We're going to exercise a bit of this now, but I want to refresh a bit of what we've walked through. We've come through a couple of pieces of the Lord's prayers. We've broken it down over these past weeks. And we started with the idea that Jesus teaches us about relationship at the very beginning of prayer. How does he begin it? The address is our Father who is in heaven. This idea of relationship, that prayer is really founded upon relationship, that it's a knowing one another. The idea that God would invite us to call him father of all the things he could have said, of all the names he could have given. He says, call me father. That implication of us being his children, of knowing him in that way where we have access to him, we can be relaxed with him. Yet he's our father. We hold him in respect. And so our father in heaven relationship. And it moves into a place of worship. Why do we say worship? Well, it moves from our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. In other words, let it be that your name is wholly set apart. And we dissected a couple weeks ago some of those pieces of his name and what that means to say, let it be, God, that your name is seen for all that it is. Worship. Prayer is about worship. We worship him in our prayer. The thing we looked at last week was lordship. The idea of your kingdom come, your will be done. It's the letting go of control and and saying, God, I want what you want. God, if you get all that you want, what is it that you want in me, in the Grand Valley, at River of Life, in, in my workplace? What is it that you would want? And so, Lordship. 
So I want you to look at this screen, and we're going to exercise this just a bit. We're going to each have an opportunity to be silent before the Lord. Is there one of those three things that as you look at it, you feel like right now the Lord would say, just dwell on this for a minute. Let that be a starter for you in praying to me about one of those three things. I'm going to be quiet for a minute or two. I'm going to pray too. But why don't you pick one and and just bring that before the Lord and, and let that ignite some prayer with you right now. Jesus, I'm so thankful you taught us how to pray. And you gave us a means of understanding what prayer is about in this prayer that you showed us what, how we can pray. God, I pray that we would stay firmly in your grasp and in the things that matter to you. And continue to teach us even as we keep moving through this prayer today. In Jesus' name. Many of us have learned the Lord's Prayer over time. We've memorized it. We've been in a church context where it's been said. And it has become a bit of a grasp for us, something that we can hold on to, a grip for us. It's, it's a way of holding on to prayer and being taught and moving into prayer. And so through life, maybe you have experienced that. You found in the struggle to pray that the Lord's Prayer has been one way you've been able to, to access the Lord. I have a friend named Jed, and his family owns a, uh, a ski boat. And his family over the years has taken us out skiing different times and, and tubing, and we love going along with them and spending time with their family. And Jed, when we go out, always has this game he likes to play called Hurt Brian. And my pride gets me to go right into it. I fall for it every time. And he gets me on the tube, and we start out kind of calm and Jed gets this little look in his eye, and if you look up in the mirror, I can see it in his eye when he's all of a sudden, uh, <laughs> he's going to turn now. Watch out. So he gets me on the tube, I'm back there, and all of a sudden he starts trying to toss me as best he can. He gets going in this circle that he calls the tornado, and he whips everything up till it's just like dicey as can be, and then he just rips me out of there, hoping he can knock me off. And hoping he can hurt me, I think. But he laughs. He gets all the kids in the boat. And they're just standing there, look, pointing and laughing at me. And I am determined not to come off. And I remember this time he flipped me over. And I was upside down under the tube. But I was not going to come off. And he hit another wave. And I went back, thankfully, somehow. But I was holding on like this. You know that way where you're just kind of tossing and most of your body's on the water? That's how I was skimming across. Guys... I was holding on for dear life onto those handles. 
Sometimes doesn't life feel like that? Like you're just flying around and it's going to toss you off and like your faith and you are going to come separated. The Lord's Prayer sometimes feels like that handle that you're holding on to, that you're grasping for, saying, God, I want to hold on. And sometimes it provides the words we need when we don't have words. I got an email from one gal in our church this past week who gave me permission to share her email with you describing this. And I bet you can relate to this idea. It says this, I grew up in a liturgical church and spent many years fleeing from prayers offered by rote. However, my grandmother, whom I dearly loved, prayed the Lord's Prayer daily. A few years ago, the Lord led me through a deep valley. So many times it hurt to barely breathe, let alone pray. I found my prayers completely inadequate and often falling into telling the Lord my will instead of listening for His. At that time, I started praying the Lord's Prayer, not in a formulaic matter, but as relationship and worship. There were times I couldn't get past our Father. As you have described well, the Lord spoke and revealed more fully the truth and depth of that relationship. I couldn't pray another line because I needed to dwell just there. And slowly I began to pray further, stopping at each phrase and allowing the Spirit to speak. She goes on, praying thy will be done was terrifying because it meant total surrender. It meant death to self and control, meaning my hopes and dreams. For others, and for me someday, it means trusting through physical death. You mentioned Jesus' prayer in the garden. I spent a long time dwelling on this passage as well. If my Lord prayed this, and he is the author, perfecter, and pioneer of my faith, then I can trust as I too pray these words. If Jesus surrendered all and entrusted himself to the Father's will, then so can I. At this point, the peace that truly supersedes all understanding flooded my soul. I was still in the valley, but I knew I was in the center of my Father's will. I didn't want pain, but I wanted to be where God was leading. So I slipped my hand into my daddy's hand and let him guide me. Joy filled me to overflowing because at that precious point, the battle was won. Even to this day, I frequently do not pray any further in the Lord's Prayer. I stop for Selah or just a pause. Does more really need to be said? As I do pray further line by line, I know the Lord still has much to teach me. Man, I wonder how many of us can relate to that same idea of how the Lord meets us. And sometimes it's right there in the midst of the trial. You know, there are certain things about the riches and depth and sufficiency of Christ that we will learn no other way but through trial. It's there that he meets us. So to say your kingdom come and and your will be done, those are really simple words, aren't they, guys? But they have so much depth. We can't say those with any sort of meaning and not come out a changed person. We can't say that and not actually even change what would follow after saying that to the Lord. If you pray that way, it will change everything about your prayer life. So as we press forward in the Lord's Prayer, there's a whole new possibility that gets opened up after we've prayed that, after we shift from the attention that Jesus gave us on God's agenda to our own needs. Two of the biggest needs that we have, food and forgiveness. You see, our needs come not just from some sort of friend or some sort of deity in the sky. Our needs are not met by that. They come from our Father. They come from a Father. It's only a Father who joyfully takes his kids on 
as dependence, right? It's only a father who joyfully sacrifices for his kids. But in the heavenly father's sake, so that they can be forgiven. Father's uh, access to a father, it brings freedom because there's an openness. We can be relaxed with the father while at the same time we respect our fathers. And so we're called to pray to the father where we can enjoy him, where we can linger with him, with that kind of relationship. And so prayer moves in the Lord's prayer from God's agenda to our needs because it's the child's right to be able to ask. And aren't you glad? What if the Lord's prayer ended before this part? Here he shifts and he allows us to talk about it and to declare dependency upon him. You see, dependency is not normal for us. Most of us, like me, would have the tendency to say, well, I've got this. I can take care of it. But here we move from the idea of being a street kid to being adopted into the father's care, into his home. Here we see it's our privilege, our right as children to come to dad and to ask. And what a relief that he includes this in the Lord's Prayer. What a relief, what a joy it opens up. Being independent, you know what it is? Exhausting. And to be a person who has reverence without relationship, do you know what that is? Depressing. It'll take the life right out of you. But to be a child in relationship that's proper brings joy. And what an honor it is to think I can be dependent on the Lord and it's an okay place to be. You'll notice something that I brought up a couple weeks ago. When you look at the Lord's Prayer, did you notice all the plural nouns? Our Father who is in heaven. And then it goes on and it says, uh, give us our daily bread, forgive us. There's this idea in here where prayer is corporate. It's a mutual praying. But what it's saying is this. Not simply, uh, well, I'll get to that in a second. It's saying we're going to pray this together. We're all in unison praying this. When we turn our prayers this way, help them, 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 but never pray the prayer ourselves. You know what that's good at doing? It, it, it causes us to dodge. We dodge what the Lord is doing and what he wants to do in us. This prayer is really an invitation to come pray to the Lord. It's, it's not so much about us, but us begins with me. God, as I pray this, as if I'm going to pray this in the midst of you guys too, I'm saying, Lord, start it in me. And in unity, we're all on the same page and we're praying these same things to the Father. Does that make sense? That's what he's trying to help us see and, do, and to do here. So it's important for us, as we see in the Lord's Prayer, to declare our faith in God's sufficiency. It's equally important for us, too, to declare our awareness of our dependence upon him. And that's why, in the Lord's Prayer, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. One of the ways we can declare God's sufficiency is this. We can ask for the basics. Asking God for the basics in our life. We tend to think, well, I'll take care of the basics. I've got that covered. And God, you take care of the extras for me. Because we're pretty independent people. But God is calling us to ask for the basics. Have you ever considered if your basics are covered, where those come from? Do you live like that? As if they come from somewhere else? Chuck Swindoll, as he was talking about this passage, helps us notice a couple other things. He says this, that you'll notice our day, give us our daily bread is not give us this day, our daily cake, our daily pie, or even our weekly feast. 
And he goes on. All we need in order to live is bread, basic sustenance. It's for our needs, not for our greeds. Just enough. And anything above that is grace. Give us this day our daily bread. Just today's bread, like manna. Just enough for today. So often God's grace is the sup- he, he supplies for that day. What a joy it is to live and to walk in that means. You know, growing up, my family didn't have a lot, but we had enough. Uh, We didn't have a lot compared to some, but we had a good life. And if you compared us to others, we had a lot. My parents worked hard and they provided. But more accurately, I guess I could say God actually provided for my family. And so growing up, we had what we needed. I knew I could, my needs would be supplied. Now, side note, dads, I want to say something to you really fast. Dads, your main mission in life is not to give your children a better material life than you had. If you sell your soul on the, on the altar of the almighty dollar, you are going to be selling the souls of the people all around you. I want, to, I want to say that very strongly and clearly to you today. Your job, your main role is to teach your children dependence upon God. And hopefully you've learned that and are continuing to learn that. That's our job. Praise God if he blesses you, but, but don't sell your soul on that altar. It'll cost you something. I had what I needed in my family. And I knew with my parents that if I needed something, I could go ask. They would provide as much as they could. They would give out of anything. They would sacrifice for us. God is calling us. He's actually requesting of us a dependence upon him just like that. Like a child. I want to live under his care where I realize what he gives is all from him. Look at what Jesus said over in Luke chapter 11, the other spot where the Lord's prayer is mentioned, where Jesus taught his disciples to pray. When he says that we can ask, listen to what follows. And I tell you, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. I wonder how much what I ask for changes then after I've said your kingdom come, your will be done. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, and I love, I don't know why he chose this, but listen. If his son asks for a fish, will instead give, uh, uh, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? (laughs) Yeah, good point, Jesus. (laughs) It's dramatic wording, right? And if he asks for an egg, dad, could I have an egg? We'll give him a scorpion. If you then, you know, you get the point, right? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, <coughs> how much will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus loves to give good gifts to his children. He loves to supply our needs. He provides For some in our congregation, even sitting here today, I know that even just the basics of food, of clothing, of shelter over your head is a struggle. And you might be in a hard season or that season has gone on and on and on and you wonder how even you'll you'll feed the family. Jesus says, come to me and ask. Ask me daily. Ask me. What a promise. Some might wrestle with health issues and you wonder how each day when you get up, how am I going to make it? It's just almost depressing to get up. But like daily manna, Jesus offers for us to be able to come to him for grace for that day. 
Some of you are in job situations that are just an absolute struggle. You don't know how you can press on. Maybe you have a boss that's really difficult or coworkers. Maybe your job is just not fulfilling at all. And you meet Jesus on a daily basis because he says, come to me. And he allows us to ask. You maybe have a ministry, which by the way, what a great place to live in ministry where you're seeking daily bread because your ministry is so hard. Maybe that ministry is where you work. Maybe it's your home. Maybe it's through the church or another Christian organization, but some way that you're in a ministry. And and I hope you're serving in some capacity where you're saying, I am so dependent on him. Guys, even last night, I didn't sleep well because I was wrestling in prayer over this message but it's what a good spot to be in. God, give me the daily bread. I I don't know what to say. There's some things that were still not sitting right for me, even through the night. And the Lord met me in those moments, giving me daily bread. Any parents out there ever need your daily bread, your daily grace from the Lord? Maybe you have kids that you are far from you or just are a constant struggle, or you have kids that you just have littles in your home and you have no idea how you're ever going to make it the next years. You do make it. But here's the thing is you have to seek the Lord on a daily moment, a daily basis. And he provides in, those, in that seeking to him. Ask him for the grace. Ask him for the wisdom you need. Some of you guys are, are students. You're somewhere in school, college. And you're living in the midst, at, trying to follow Jesus. And you're living in the midst of a place that is not always very conductive for you, or easy for you to be a believer. And God would say in that, part of asking for daily bread would be to say, God, will you give me strength and help this day? Give me the grace to walk and live for you this day in the midst of this and not just fall right away from you or fall into whatever. That's a great place to be. Some maybe say, I just battle a habitual sin. And you're seeking the Lord for victory over that daily. And God would say, you can come to me for that. Ask. I would love to give. As you hear that list, though, you might go, I'm really wealthy and all that. I just don't have much that I have a need for. You want to bet? Who gave you anything in your life? The Father above. Who blessed you with anything in your life? And do you have any guarantee that tomorrow your health will be there, your wealth will be there, or anything that you depend on or you look to? See, Matthew 6, I find interesting the context of what follows the Lord's Prayer. If you look at the whole context of this entire section as Jesus is preaching to his people. Verse 19, lay up treasures in heaven. The idea that even if I have little, I still lay up treasure in heaven, whether that's my monies, whether that's my resource and time and my, my talents, giving that to the Lord, I, I store up treasure in heaven. In verse 25, do not be anxious. Why? I think it all comes back to the idea of this father relationship where we depend upon him. See, we often live with this deception that we're all alone, that it's just us. And where is God? What is he doing in the world? Where are you? And so what that leads in our thinking to do is to think, well, if I'm going to have anything happen in this life, I'm going to succeed and I'm going to succeed on my own. And quickly, right after that, we'll follow this independence streak. But do you know what independence always leads to? Worry. It's going to lead to worry. And I believe that's why Jesus is talking about not worrying. 
Because you could live as a dependent child of the Father. But you're trying to live on your own. And so Matthew 6 is an interesting uh, just stream of thought as Jesus was preaching through there of the things that he lays out to us. But I think it all comes back to the idea of Father. And when we pray for these things like our daily bread, how many of those are big prayers? How many of them are prayers that go into the supernatural realm? See, I think a lot of our prayers are kind of just natural. We're just praying on this level of earth and just kind of, oh, maybe you could do this, maybe you could do that. And it's mostly about what we want, those kinds of things. But how many of them pray for a view that has a supernatural God that you're praying to? A God that can do miracles, who can break through in amazing ways for the things that are a part of his kingdom. You see, I don't think we want to claim this, but most of us live as theoretical supernaturalists. Even in our prayer life, we look at prayer and, and it just is kind of on this level. And maybe that's part of why it's so dry sometimes. But God would call us to be a people who say, God can do anything. So I'm going to ask and I'm going to look for the big things that would be within his will. And he gives to his children, but he doesn't give us a health and wealth approach, a prosperity gospel. But rather, he gives us his grace as he sees fit, a grace upon grace that comes out of his abundant storehouses. It comes from all that he possesses, which is everything. And he loves to give his children good gifts. So ask and ask supernatural things. Independent people carry worry, but dependent people Receive something different. Do you know Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7? You should memorize this. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and and supplication. With thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God. Which surpasses all understanding. Will guard your hearts. And your minds. In Christ Jesus. Wait a second. What did that say? The peace of God. The peace of God is available to us. It's right there if you'll live as a dependent person. So the result of being somebody who lives dependently and asking for our basics would be that we have peace and we have provision. He's able. And so those are right at your fingertips. But there's something else we need just as much as bread. And it's forgiveness. What bread is for the physical being, forgiveness is for the soul. Jesus said, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We're going to break this consideration of forgiveness into two parts. But the next thing here of declaring Christ's sufficiency would be this in prayer is to ask for forgiveness. Asking for forgiveness. You might notice immediately that Jesus uses the word debts in Matthew 6, and I use the word sins. So why did I jump right to that? Well, first of all, over in Luke 11, the other spot where the Lord's Prayer is recorded, Jesus uses the word sin. Here he uses a slightly different word, but it conveys the idea of sin, sin that accumulates like a lingering debt. And if not paid, we have a price to pay, and it's a price we cannot cover. The Bible says no one is righteous, not even one. Great. 
You can't pay for your sin by being good enough or having enough good deeds that make up for it. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. In other words, death literally, but also in the future sense, the separation from God where we pay for the condemnation, where we get what we deserve, and that would be hell. But that verse doesn't just say the wages of sin is death. It goes on and it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We need someone else to pay the debt and Jesus pays it. Jesus does it. He pays it both for my past sin, but also my future sin. Sins that I commit while, even until I'm redeemed one day. So my motive for sinning on earth, or sorry, not sinning on earth, is not to gain favor with God right now. I'm already secure in that. I already have his favor, but it's because God paid a great price to erase my sin. Where his righteousness became my righteousness. He covered me with his righteousness. So if he's washed me clean, leaves us in a bit of a dilemma to say, why do I need to ask for forgiveness? Have you ever thought about that as a follower of Jesus? If he already has transactionally justified me, justified is a legal term, which to break it down in the simplest way, it's where God would look at us just as if we had never sinned. Justified. I'm justified by God. So if I'm secure in that and I'm solid in that, why do I even need to ask for forgiveness? Let me offer two thoughts on that of why I, I think so. One is that Jesus suggests we, we, not suggest, he tells us to ask for forgiveness because it helps remind me of my need for the powerful grace of God. It reminds me over and over again because sin kept in secret holds a power. Sin kept in secret grows when we will just put a covering over it. If it's never dialogued before God, I begin in my mind to justify it. I begin to cover it. And over time, what ends up happening is it drives me deeper into the sin and further away from God. And I begin to separate from him. And I grow in shame and guilt, which furthermore makes me like, I don't really want to interact with him. But that leads me to the second thing, the second reason why I think Jesus calls us to ask for forgiveness. And that's this, is that it restores relationship or fellowship with him. Now, when I offend Rochelle, which has really only happened twice in our marriage, probably something like that. You can ask her later if it happens often. If I say something stupid to her, what happens in the relationship? I cause damage to the relationship, right? And... I'm not worried that in our marriage by saying something stupid that she's going to just be done with me because we view marriage as a covenant. It's a covenant we made before God. We're going to work through it. But I damage the fellowship I have with her. And so what happens is there's a little bit of a distancing, right? There can be even just a moment of distancing, but sometimes that lasts a little bit longer. And she might avoid me a little bit. I might avoid her a little bit. There's some hurt going on there. But what does forgiveness do is it comes back and it draws two people back together again. If I'm humble, if I ask for that, and it restores the relationship. It's the same way I believe with God. The Father wants us to repent and come towards him because it restores that relationship, the fellowship. God's kindness, the Bible says, leads us to repentance. It's out of his kindness. Do you sometimes feel condemned, though, when you've sinned, like awful about it versus a word that we would use called conviction. 
What's the difference between those two things? Well, condemnation points out our faults without any hope of ever being able to be redeemed through, through Christ. And it's not of God. In fact, Jesus told us in John, uh, in the book of John, he said he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. But conviction is similar in the sense that it points out where our faults are, where our sins are, but it doesn't leave us without hope. It leaves us with hope of redemption through Christ. Conviction is God's kindness. The fact that we would see our sin is God's kindness, and it leads to repentance. Condemnation shouts, your past and your sins, you're a loser. You're never going to move forward. But conviction shouts, the blood of Jesus has washed away your sins. It shouts out to us that if we come to Jesus, we can be forgiven for our sins. You can be forgiven and your, your sins, both past and present, are a part of you no more. And so we can embrace the grace of mercy and grace of mercy of Jesus that is so freely given to us. His blood can wash away all of that sin. What an awesome thing to think that Jesus invites us to say, forgive us our debts. Forgive me of my sins. And so what happens when we do that is we find freedom from our sins and we find relationship or restored fellowship. What an awesome thing he invites us to. So how do I do this? Well, first of all, for a disciple, it happens regularly that you would come, maybe even daily. That you come before the Lord and and regularly ask the Spirit to search you. The Spirit is most often going to use the Word of God, the Bible, so you would have to be in it to see this. But He's going to use the Word of God to reveal things to you because it's like a mirror. It helps you see what's going on inside. But you can ask the Spirit to work in that and work as you're, as you're processing through. Most of us know what's going on in us because the Spirit lives in us. And you can ask like David did in the Psalms, try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God will reveal things to us as we ask him, where am I sinning right now? What are you concerned about in my life? Are there things I need to bring out before you? Sometimes we will have a good friend who will help point things out too, who has a desire to help restore us in our relationship with the Lord. And if you're smart, you'll listen to them. And they have the goal of restoring us. But in all of it is the point of God, show me what's going on. And when we see our sin, what do we do next? We would confess it to God very specifically. God, I know, not just I know I'm a sinner, but here's my sin, God. And say it. Call it what it is. For the real raw terms of it. Confess it to the Lord. And there you can pause and reflect. You can reflect on how it grieves the Lord. And the power of his cross. And the cost that it took for him to pay for that sin. This is something I do regularly in my life guys. And after pausing there. And actually having confessed it to the Lord. I go in the direction of remembering the power of the cross and his forgiveness that's available to me in the cross. And I say, Jesus, I want you to apply your forgiveness to this specific thing because I want us to be restored. I want us to be back in good fellowship together. And you, you can embrace that. Remember the cross. Confession without the cross is powerless. So come there. And then, this is really important too, ask for his power to move forward. That's called repentance. That's the turning part. 
I'm, I'm done with that, and I'm going this way, and I need your power and your strength. I need the gospel to penetrate that area of my life. And I keep coming back to that. So forgive us our sins or our debts. But you'll notice what Jesus does here. He links something to forgiveness, and that is forgiveness of others. He says, forgive us our debts as, not if, or if you'll maybe forgive others, but as we also have forgiven our debtors. See, the third way we declare God's sufficiency in prayer is by forgiving others. When offended, what do most of us do? We either fight the other person or we flee from them, right? So I'm either going to engage it and it's going to get heated and it's going to go ugly or I'm just going to avoid them. And so sometimes you'll find in church people who won't even talk to each other. We just avoid each other or two friends that used to be friends and they see each other in the store somewhere and they just completely avoid each other in the process of that. Because something got said, something happened where they didn't do what we wanted or they were actually aggressive to us or they were passive aggressive to us or they let us down in some way. You know, we all have people in our life like that, right? Somebody who says to me, I, have, I don't have anyone I need to forgive in my life. I just look at them and I do this face. Really? Do you have a pulse? I mean, we do it. We live in the same world. We all have people we have to forgive. Maybe right now for you, it's uh, a family member. Could be a sibling in your life. It could be a spouse. It could be your children. Maybe it's an ex in your life. Maybe it's someone else in church that you need to forgive and God's calling you to forgive. Maybe a former friend, and I use the word former, or a current friend who you're in a spat with. I think it's interesting that sometimes Christians seem to be the most angry people at government. But I think God would call us even to forgive those who are in government positions that offend us. Maybe it's somebody at work, a boss who didn't give you a promotion. Something that happened. A co-worker. Somewhere, someone let us down. They didn't meet our expectations. And we all face it almost on a daily basis. And Jesus makes an assumption that we are forgiving offenses that have been committed against us. It's interesting that here interpersonal relationships actually make it into the Lord's Prayer. Think about it. Everything to this point has been pretty lofty, hasn't it? And now he goes to this people thing like us between each other and how we interact But relationships are an essential part of prayer. Hebrews 12.15 gives us some help in this. See to it, it says, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it may become defiled. I live in a neighborhood that has an HOA. Any other people have an HOA? How many of you have a love-hate relationship with your HOA? Okay, I won't make you raise your hand. Your president might be here. In my neighborhood, if I have a weed in my rocks, they'll take a picture of it and I'll get a letter in the mail. And on the second or third one, there's a a fine with it. Now, the reason for this is the love-hate part of this. I love that they keep the standards of the neighborhood up and they want it to be well-maintained because it makes a good neighborhood. 
But the difficulty of that is that, really, I can't just tolerate that weed for a while, or it's just been there a week or two or three or four, but it's just a weed, right? The same way Jesus is calling us in Hebrews twelve fifteen to maintain our heart. There's a pattern of regularly pulling the weeds in our life, pulling weeds of bitterness and resentment from the garden of our hearts, what's internal, every day before they have the opportunity to grow into full-on trees or life-destroying bushes. Don't live in a constant fear because you're allowing weeds to grow up and someday that thing's going to turn into a monster or you might get fined for it and have to pay for that. You will have to pay for it someday. Tend your heart, the author of Hebrews is saying. God calls us throughout Scripture to lay down our arms against others. He will be your defender. Again, because he's sufficient to do that. There's this strong link he puts, and I think we have to hear this warning. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Look at verse 14 if you drop down there in Matthew 6. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You can't separate the two. Forgiveness goes right along with God's forgiveness of us. So you might ask, all right, so what's going on here? Is there... Some part of my salvation that's dependent on me as if I have to provide this in order to be saved? Well, my answer to that would be this. If we don't forgive others, we don't really understand the gospel. We don't really understand the power of the gospel, the depth of the forgiveness that he's extended to us, and the power he can provide to forgive other people. And so we'd have to go back and say, if I can't forgive, do I get what he has done for me before I can forgive other people? And so those things go hand in hand. And it's only with the power of God that I'm even able to do this, the power of the gospel penetrating that part. You know what I found about praying for those who hurt me? Is that that prayer for those who hurt me doesn't always change them. A lot of times it doesn't even change them. It seems sometimes like it doesn't even affect them, but what it always does is it changes me. I'm the one who ends up getting changed. Jesus said, I tell you that to pray for those who persecute you. And that's a good, awesome, great place to start. It's what we should do. And then as God works on your heart, there's time and process that goes on. But at a certain point, he shows us how much he loves us. And then immediately after that, the need for me to forgive other people where he helps me to forgive them. It doesn't mean when I forgive somebody else that I just sweep it under the rug. It doesn't mean that I just, I just pretend like it didn't happen. It doesn't mean that I just get, I have to explain it away, like justify it of why they're like that. Do you know what forgiveness in a biblical sense means? Picture it in my hand. It means to literally hurl it away. But balls bounce off the back wall and a lot of times come back. And a lot of times what we have to do is daily take that and cast it away again. Just like God did with our sins as far as the east is from the west. And so unforgiveness frees us. It frees what's going on in that situation. And it frees God to work in the church. 
Remember when John 17, when Jesus was praying for the church, he prayed for unity. He prayed that we would be one. And he said that the reason for this is then the people of the world will believe that you sent me. Do you know what our most powerful outreach method at River of Life can be and is? It's this word called unity. When forgiveness, when relationships work in harmony, not just amongst each other, but in our lives across the board. Laying down arms and saying, God, you are powerful enough to work through this. As it's been said before, I say it again, holding a grudge does not make you strong. It makes you bitter. And forgiving doesn't make you weak. It sets you free. And so what is going to be the result of forgiveness? Freedom and unity. And out of that unity, God's glory is seen, and there'll be new believers out of that. So when we pray for our needs, it's really a declaration of our need for God. It's having a proper perspective of myself, which is also known as humility, as we humble ourselves before God. In 1930, in West Texas, there was a man named E.L. Yates, who during the Depression was struggling to keep his farm going and had kind of come to the point where he realized his constant worry wasn't going to pay his bills and feed his family. So he had just given up, and he was contemplating bankruptcy, figured that's what was going to happen, and somehow he'd have to make a fresh start after the bank took the farm. One day, a survey crew from an oil company came by like they were doing on all the farms in that area and looking through his property. And they offered him at the beginning, before the survey, a contract that said, and I didn't think as I read this, this was that great of a contract, but he would get one out of every eight barrels if they found oil on his land. And so they came in, they surveyed, and they started drilling down. And at 1,115 feet, they struck a gusher. And that well produced 80,000 barrels of oil a day. And then after that, they started digging more wells that had twice that capacity. Even 30 years later, the government, as they surveyed that area, said it was one of the richest oil veins ever found in North America. Some of us, not some of us, those of us who follow Jesus are oftentimes standing on top of untapped soil. And Jesus would say, drill, baby, drill down, come find it. There's a gusher right below you that can provide everything you need. And you're just standing there and all you have to do is drill. So drill and come find that living water that he'd provide. We're going to sing a song about our dependency as we close today. Our dependency on Jesus Christ. Lord, I need you. Would you stand with me as we sing this song together? As a prayer, as a worship to the Lord.
here there are some copies of the lord's prayer at the information counter and if you haven't picked one up yet this past couple of weeks grab one on your way out and put it up somewhere where that will serve as that starter log for you this coming week in your prayer life with the lord also next week when you're back uh we're gonna have a great sunday together um next week we get to commission out some of our students that are going to life conference and so we're going to pray over them at the close of both services and so we'd love for you to be here to be praying along uh, with us for them Benediction comes from Matthew chapter 11, and it says this. It's the words of Jesus, and it's an invitation as well as I want to use it in the direction of a benediction. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Walk in that truth as you go from here this next week. Amen.